What impact will the planned merger of Saudi-backed Live Golf and the PGA Tour have on the images and reputations of both organizations? I'm Edward Siegel, author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Crisis Ahead, 101 Ways to Prepare for and Bounce Back from Disasters, Scandals, and Other Emergencies. I'm also a Leadership Strategy Senior Contributor for Forbes.com. My guest today is crisis communications expert Andy Barr. We'll discuss the possible fallout of the pending merger and what government executives and business leaders can learn from it. Thanks for joining me today on Crisis Ahead, Andy. Uh, Tell me a little bit about your crisis management and crisis communication background and experience. Well, thank you very much for uh, inviting me on. So um, my name is Andy Barr. I'm I'm based in the United Kingdom. Um, I've had a long and checkered and fun um, career in crisis communication. So I started um, I started working in the um, lobbying and political department of a government owned energy uh, company here in Britain, um, and then sort of progressed through the ranks up to work in uh, PR, predominantly focusing in crisis comms. So that gave me a a fantastic grounding you know there's not a week goes by without a drama with a with a utility company um so so that was quite good fun and then i went to go and work in financial services again doing um crisis comms uh, you know and um trying to help i guess manage the company through um some really negative times so things like shutting down divisions of companies around the world at the time uh, it was axa and at the time they were the fifth largest company in the world so that was quite interesting um, and then I went to go and work for the uh, the UK's, um, well, I think actually the, the world's largest passenger transport company, First Group, who in America own um, franchises for Yellow School Bus and the Greyhound Bus Network. Um, so helping them with crisis communications here in the UK, particularly around uh, bus and train. And then I thought, do you know what? It's been quite hard working in-house. So I'm going to do it on my own and set up my own agency. So here we are 18 years later from starting my own agency. and. And we've worked with everyone on crisis comms from and, and reputation management from um, quite uh, quite prominent UK um, polit- well the two main UK political parties um, some quite prominent business individuals and then right through to uh, high street brands and organisations that have maybe got themselves in a bit of trouble so so that's me in a in a, a sort of potted nutshell and you're not asleep yet so that's a plus. Well, thanks for that overview. The planned merger of uh, LIV Golf, which is owned by uh, Saudi, uh, with the PGA Tour, has raised some concerns about what that merger would mean for both sides. What impact do you think the merger would have on the images and reputations of both organizations? Well, I don't think both organizations have um, have come out of it very well, have they? I think, you know, PGA has been accused of... Um, facilitating sports washing by the uh, public public investment fund that owns Live. And obviously Live are sort of, um, you know, they're seen as sort of trying to, what's the word, uh, make uh, the public investment form fund, sorry, seem a bit more credible um, and and maybe uh, try and improve the overall reputation of the Saudi government. So, so yeah, it's, it's been a tough one. And I don't think either brand has come out of it very well at all. There are some who say that, at least from a business standpoint, the merger would make sense for both sides because of the bottom line issues and challenges each of them is facing or could face. Uh, do you agree with that? 
Well, I don't think Liv was under that much financial pressure. I think places like uh, or, or respected news outlets like The Athletic have you know, gone on record saying that um, Liv, backed by the PIF, um, had around $2 billion to, to spend on getting a foothold in golf. So I don't think it was going to affect their bottom line very quickly. And I, I'm not too sure of the, the shorter to medium term impact that it was having in PGA, because obviously Liv was starting to lose a bit of traction before um, before the merger was announced. You know, it was rumoured again by people like The Athletic that they were struggling to sell tickets for events. Um, so so I think really it's, um, I think it just held off further um, legal expense that would come later down the line. News about this planned merger came out of the blue uh, a couple months ago. Uh, is there a sense of urgency to this deal? That is, is it really critical that they finalize the agreement and merge sooner rather than later? Or is it danger that they may be rushing to merge uh, sooner than they should? Well, I think the communication side of it has maybe led to the um, to, to the rushing. I think they've been fearful of a long and protracted um, publicity war against each other. So I think that's probably sped up the process. But it's clear that um, both parties didn't have all of their key personnel briefed. I mean, from um, you know, from the PGA side, the the two main people that they had spearhead in the you know the defence against Liv was. Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods, and both of them have said that you know they didn't know what was happening before. So there's a there's a communications fail there in that the key stakeholders didn't know before the announcement was made. But I think um, I think what is interesting is 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 some of the deal is starting to get un unpicked now, and and obviously over in America the the deals under a certain amount of scrutiny from the Senate, and some of the some of the murkier elements of the deal are coming out in terms of. Um, there was a belief that they could almost buy off the likes of Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods by offering them franchises in the new um, in the new merged entity. So, so it's been quite quite interesting to see, you know, the timings of everything and how it's maybe been fast tracked to to avoid further negative publicity. Some say there is a sense of hypocrisy to this proposed merger. Uh, both sides were really going at it. Uh, very. Uh, 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 very critical of uh, of each other before they finally said no we're going we want to get together do you think that sense of hypocrisy is going to rub off on both organizations or that's something that would be fall by the wayside and be forgotten in years to come well i think in the longer term it will be forgotten but in the short term i think there'll be ramifications so i think obviously you know, Greg uh, Norman from uh, the Live side, you know, his position's under threat. And I can't see Jay Moynihan, or Monaghan, sorry, from the PGA surviving for, for very long in his role longer term, just because of the vitriol that they sort of, um, you know, they spat against each other, didn't they? So, yeah, so I think, um, I think both organisations are going to um, be damaged short to medium term. But in the long term, I think both organisations will be fine. I think there's going to be some high profile personnel losses. Obviously, Greg Norman is probably going to lose his role um, with Liv and um, and Jay Monaghan's going to lose his role with the PGA just because of the amount of vitriol that they were sort of talking um, to each other with, which made it very difficult. So I think there is a lot of negative um, hurdles to get over in the short term. But golf is a sport that is thriving. You know, since COVID, golf's just become a sport globally that that's probably reached new heights. So I think golf will survive in the long term. Well, long term is one thing, but short term is another. 
Uh, and in the short term, they certainly have some crisis communications challenges to deal with on both sides. Um, what are those challenges uh, and how is that going to affect the, the merger for the two organizations? Well, I think the elephant in the room is always going to be the accusations of sport washing and, and how this has just been a vehicle for the Saudi government to potentially gain some um, goodwill around the globe. As I said earlier, I think, you know, the Athletic or I know the Athletic have reported that the public investment fund had two billion to spend on getting a foothold in um, in this global sport. So so I think um, I think there is significant risk there whilst those accusations are going to be floating around and that's going to take a lot of um, a lot of crisis communications work and a lot of positive stories getting out there, which is where some of the sponsor deals come in. I, I think both brands are you know, are fighting at the minute, you know, to, to try and position themselves as the the credible golf brand in the world. And although the mergers took place, there's still going to be that to and fro between the, you know, the talent and the golf players themselves that's um, that's going on. You've mentioned uh, sports washing a couple times during our conversations. For members of our audience who are not familiar with that term, can you explain what that means, and is the this is the first time someone has tried to use that tactic uh, in a crisis situation? Well, I think sport washing, in simple terms, and, it, and in this particular case, is obviously the Saudi government has quite a negative reputation around the world. Obviously, um, you know, it, it's carried out a number of uh, a number of in, or there's been a number of incidents that are hugely negative. So, for example, the the journalist that was um, was killed by some Saudi um Saudi government's agency staff a few years ago um is, is something that's always going to float around in the media and the Saudi government are very keen to to position themselves as a as a positive um proactive government that should you know that should be respected around the world and so they're trying to do what they can to uh, improve their reputation and this this new term of sport washing is essentially where you come along and you spend a lot of money to, to sort of deflect attention away. And, and this is what the Saudi government has done via this public investment fund. Obviously, they've got a huge number of sports clubs now around the world, both in soccer um, here in the UK and, uh, and around Europe. Uh, they've set up a really successful uh, soccer league, um, which is seemingly buying all the major talent um, from around the world right now. And you, you could say, again, that's deflecting away from some of the negative um, accusations that they face because people become so obsessed with what they're doing in the sporting world. Well, from a positive perspective, are there any commercial opportunities for brands that would want to sponsor golf games that would fall under this new combined brand um, if and when the merger happens? Yeah, I, I think um, I think there are huge opportunities for brands to to get involved in the in the newly merged identity, whatever that might be. So obviously, there's brands that are established in the in the golfing world. So obviously, the Titleist, Callaways, Pings, um, but there are some emerging brands that um, that could use it as an opportunity to make a name in the sector if they um, you know if they start to sponsor some of the the larger tournaments. So obviously, we have Castor, which is um, which is an emerging sporting golf brand. Um, we have Under Armour, which is a hugely successful um, brand in its own right, but has a has a, a very fast developing golf arm as well. So I can imagine one of those brands coming in. But then also there's the there's the broadcast rights as well and the global rights to that. Live, no matter what um, people say, was trying to bring an exciting element to golf. And I think 
you know, the right. days of tuning into four day tournaments are, are kind of gone. I think it's these shorter form tournaments that consumers are looking for. So there is an opportunity there for sports broadcasters to to come on board as well. And then I think um, I think the final one is Nike. One of the things that I've been saying is obviously Nike withdrew from the golf um, club market, I think in 2012 or maybe 2016. Um, and they, they quite famously basically just said, you know, we've spent so much money, we're not getting the traction um, that, that we wanted. So could we see this as the opportunity for Nike to come back? The market's obviously moved on a huge amount since they withdrew. Um, and, and, you know, there's far more players now than there the were when they withdrew in 2012 or 2016. So maybe this is the opportunity for Nike to come back and enter the golf club market. Well, given the controversial issues surrounding the plan merger, would there be any risks or downside to brands uh, that decide or want to consider sponsoring events by the new organization? Um, if so, what would those risks be? Well, I think the risks are always going to be investigative um, articles and critical articles around the newly merged brand. There's going to be so much scrutiny by um, by investigative journalists now, especially um, at the time of the, the first sort of co-branded tournament, um, that I think the risk is for brands that they get caught up in that, uh, their brand gets associated with it. But I think the sport as a whole is on is on such a high at the minute that that brands can almost look at that risk and see it as a, a short-term issue rather than um, a longer-term problem that's going to affect, affect their brand. So I think there is significant brand risk, um, and it's brand risk for the players as well. Um, you know, Rory McIlroy hasn't sort of publicly made a huge statement about his thinking about this, but obviously the, the first press conference he said was, I still hate live. So I think there is that brand uh, risk um, that the players themselves may, uh, may may give their sponsors as well. What we don't want to see is people or, or is the organisation um, airing its dirty linen in public. And, and that's the risk that, that everything falls out or, or comes out in the wash in front of the world's media glare. And that could actually extend or deepen the, the controversy. But how should brands or can brands overcome or deal with those risks if they want to go ahead and sponsor those events? Well, I think this is where something, you know, an edgy brand may um, may be able to be able to get away with it. And there isn't that many um, in the golf world. It's quite a twee. Um, it's quite a twee uh, world, isn't it, of, uh, of brands that get involved. You couldn't you wouldn't expect Callaway or Ping. To, to be doing anything risky. But some of these more challenger brands, so Castor or, um, or, or uh, Under Armour, that, that does have that slightly more edgy feel towards its marketing, could do well with this. You know, they, if, if they were able to sort of play up to the controversy in a safe way that doesn't, doesn't damage the brand, there is an opportunity there. And we, we see in so many other sectors, you have these disruptive brands that come through um and and make light of situations that are very difficult and i think if there was a golf brand that was willing to do that um you know that there is that opportunity again it could be a broadcaster a large um, broadcaster could come in obviously espn is is snapping up a lot of um snapping up a lot of different tv channels around the world at the minute if there was a newly um announced broadcast sports broadcast brand that uh, was willing to to be a bit more risky in its approach to marketing i could see them doing well out of this 
Are there any leadership lessons that government executives and business leaders should learn from the issues that are surrounding this plan merger? I think there's a load of leadership lessons. And the number one thing that, that I, you know, I saw straight away was that um, the PGA backed themselves into a corner very quickly. You know, they immediately announced they weren't going to even engage with um, Liv. They they almost pressed the nuclear button too soon. They, um, you know, they went on the attack. They talked about all of the alleged atrocities that the Saudi government or the Liv backers had um, had carried out, and it and it really meant that there was no what we call um, over here wiggle room in the UK. So with crisis comms, you need a bit of wiggle room where you can add some um, some confusion or add an extra bit of narrative to try and take the crisis away. And, and the PJ didn't do that. They immediately pressed the nuclear button, backed themselves into a corner, and they had there was no way for them to announce this merger. Um, without any controversy, because the leadership team just, you know, they, they didn't even go down the route of trying to attempt to negotiate. And I think that's one of the uh, that's one of the key leadership lessons um, that they should have even even if they didn't mean to or had no intention of of merging at any point, they should have at least gave the impression that they were willing to to meet across the table and have a conversation about how the two brands could live together. But they didn't. They backed themselves into a corner, and that's made this whole story much worse for everybody involved. In addition to surprising the sports world, uh, the the planned merger came as a shock to the players in the PGA, who were not given any advance notice uh, about the announcement. Do you think that was a mistake? And is that another, another lesson to be learned by company executives and those in the federal government uh, about how to manage and communicate about a crisis? Well, I think that's a huge lesson. You're exactly right. The The leadership side of it in terms of the internal communications was clearly very slacking. I think we all know as communicators that it's important that you tell your internal stakeholders before it gets announced externally, and they didn't do that in their case. And, it, and the, there is no... Um, there are no more dramatic stakeholders in life than um, sports professionals, in my experience. So I think not telling them was going to cause this this backlash almost internally, which which is terrible from a crisis comms point of view. And they could have easily addressed that by announcing this um, this move internally, even if it was just minutes before. They, they should have told their players and their stakeholders um, shortly before it went public. And that's always... The issue now we understand that um, in uh, you know that they have a very diverse workforce that's geographically spread across the world in terms of their PGA talent, um, but you know technology is there for us at the minute, and, and modern technology is very good in terms of being hold, able to get hold of people on a multiple different um, plateau of platforms. So I think um, I think they really did miss a trick, and there is a really big. Um, there is a really big leadership lesson there on on internal comms, and that's something that us as communicators often miss. You know, we're, we're so busy looking at the external optics, we don't really take into account all of the internal communications connotations of getting it wrong. And that's what's happened here. They haven't briefed their internal talent, and people like Rory McIlroy have gone out and just immediately said, "I still hate Live." That's a terrible message for you know, their prime talent to be saying publicly. Well, Andy, there are some who are not likely to ever forgive or forget the role of the Saudi government in 9-11 and the murder of the Washington Post journalist a few years ago. Is there any way for both sides to overcome those lingering issues? 
right? This is just something they're going to have to live with uh, in, the, in the years ahead. Well, I think those two examples that you, you gave are so um, high impact. They're so dark and, and they're so concerning that that's, that's going to mean that this isn't something that they can fix overnight. You know, these, these kind of things are the only things that can be solved through uh, time passing and, um, you know, and, and constant communications with all parties to try and find a solution. But I think, you know, if we're, if we're thinking about crisis comms, a pure crisis comms approach to this, this is one of those where after every crisis, I always advise people that you need to get out and go and meet the people that give you the that gave you the biggest headaches during the crisis. So so when I worked for a government utility, for example, and we had power outages of, you know, of a million people off, you know, with, without electric, we went to go and meet the media after it was all fixed, the media that had given us um, the, the, the biggest boot, to be honest. And um, we tried to understand how we could have done better. And I think this is a classic example of that. PGA and Liv, and I think that the backers particularly behind uh, Liv, need to get out and meet the media as much as they can. At the minute, they're very secretive. Um, you know, there's, there's kind of one named individual within Liv, and then everything else gets lumped together, you know, in the name of a Saudi prince or king. So I think I think it's about, get if they, if they want to take this seriously, they need to get out and meet the media. And I think that is going to be a difficult thing. But this is, this is you know, some of the things they stand accused of are so bad that they, they can't be fixed short term. This is a very long-term multi-generation issue. I'm sorry, but we're almost out of time for today's show. What's the most important takeaway you'd like to leave with listeners? Thank you very much. I, I think the biggest takeaway is don't press the go nuclear button too quick. When you're heading into a disaster, weigh up all your options rather than backing yourself into a corner uh, because it's very difficult to come out um, and, and save any face if you've backed yourself into a corner. But can I take the opportunity to thank you as well for... Um, you know, for allowing me to, to appear on this fantastic podcast. Well, thank you, Andy, and I appreciate you joining me today on Crisis Ahead. Thank you very much. That's it for this edition of Crisis Ahead. My guest today was crisis communications expert Andy Barr. Be sure to come back next week for more advice and insights about preparing for, managing, and recovering from a crisis, or subscribe to Crisis Ahead wherever you get podcasts. Each week, I interview government officials, corporate executives, and experts who share their advice and insights about a variety of crisis management and crisis communication topics. My guests have taken deep dives into a variety of issues, such as the crisis management lessons to be learned from HBO's succession, how to prepare for any crisis situation, and how members of the next generation of crisis communicators are being trained and educated. Remember, it's not a matter of if a crisis will hit your organization or company, it's when. And the sooner you're prepared for it, the better. Produced by HeartCast Media.